Welcome to the Epic Mom Podcast. I'm your host, Carol Walker. Each week, I get to talk to amazing women about their epic adventures in motherhood. I'm so glad you joined us. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, friends. I'm so glad that you are joining me on the Epic Mom Podcast today. This time of quarantine and staying at home and safer at home or whatever your community is calling it has been a challenge in so many ways, but also precious in other ways and remembering what really matters and spending time with our loved ones. And I hope that you have gained some things that as we open back up our stores and communities and we're more out and about in our communities that we still hang on to those lessons that we've learned. In my conversation today with my dear friend, Stephanie Merling, she is so generous in sharing the story of her son um, fighting cancer and some of the lessons that she learned in that um, experience. And one of the things that I loved that she shared was the perspective she had um, in knowing what really is important. And so I hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. I realized at the end of the conversation, I just didn't quite want it to end. And um, I think that you're going to feel the same way. Stephanie is an inspiration. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Stephanie Merling. Welcome to today's episode of the Epic Mom Podcast. Today is one of my favorite friends, Stephanie Merling. And although we hardly ever see each other, I just feel like every time we talk, we just pick right back up um, where we left off. And I think we've known each other for like, I don't know, like 20 years, 15 years, 15 years probably. At least, yeah. At least, at least. So welcome to the show, Stephanie. Thank you. Thank you. And why don't you introduce yourself to us? Yeah, so I'm Stephanie. I'm currently living in outside of Atlanta, Georgia, on a little homestead with, um, I guess, two technical kids living at home. I have five kids altogether, three that are away at school, um, but are visiting during this coronavirus. One that's on the way to mission and college, depending on how corona um, affects that. And one little one, um, 12 year old left at home. Um, we, um, have homeschooled all of our kids for all of their lives. And that's been a great blessing. And we have a little farm where we try and provide for ourselves the best that we can and just give our kids opportunities to, to work. I love that. I love that. That's, we, we have a similar thing about the little farm and Gosh, so many life lessons and opportunities to work from that a farm just naturally creates. It really does. Yeah, that's awesome. Did you always want to homeschool? You know, I think it came to be my husband works for Delta Airlines doing avionics, um, which is like airplane electronics. And so um, because he worked for Delta, from the time my kids were little, I had the idea that we could go and see whatever kids could read about in books. And so that was the beginning of our homeschool journey because that was, obviously we lived in a beautiful little picturesque town with the best schools available. There was no reason to homeschool other than I just really liked being with my kids and wanted to give them the opportunity to see things. And that has, that has, um, that has really come true for us. We started traveling, within the United States. So we would read about 
do a historical fiction or a biography about a specific area. And then we would go and see that area and um, what family memories that has just an accidental, you know, this sounds like a fun thing to do and what a blessing that has been to our family. We have really, really enjoyed that. And now with the, that's now, now we've kind of moved into international um, up until this Corona thing, we have been um, doing unit studies and then traveling internationally to those sites. And that's been a lot of fun too. That's amazing. That's, that's really one of the things I love about homeschooling too, which way back when I never thought I'd be a homeschool mom and, and wasn't when I put my kids in public school and you were my only homeschool mom friend. You were the only person I knew that homeschooled. <laughs> so when we moved to Alabama and I was like, Oh, I think we're going to need to homeschool. You were the first call I made. Do you, I don't know if you remember that, but I called you and you, you spent hours on the phone with me teaching me every little thing that you did, which I was so thankful. That is funny. I have forgotten that, but um, now that you say it, what, what a blessing to be able to go back and remember starting homeschooling and what a great how your kids have turned out how fun to go back oh I wouldn't trade it I wouldn't trade it I totally I totally support like I don't think homeschooling is for everybody but um I think that if it is for you then you should do it and and it's been a great thing for us and um I think I've shared on the show before but I like we were all prepared to convince our kids that we wanted to keep doing it after the first year and um, cause we could just see so many benefits. And so we had, we had all of these reasons to keep homeschooling. We had a family meeting and my husband and I were like prepared to, to t- tell the kids why we should keep doing it. And we're like, what do you guys think? And they're like, oh, we love it. Let's never change. Mm. We're like, oh, but we had like almost a PowerPoint presentation. Can we please still show you? Like <laughs> they didn't need convincing at all, but we were totally prepared and excited. So oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And for the traveling, I think that's amazing. What's, what are some of the places that you've gone internationally? Um, we've been to Rome to see like all the historical sites there in Pompeii. Wow. And we did Greece and all the beautiful sites there, including, um, uh, I don't know what I can't think of the name right now, but the, you know, it's times, uh, points from the scriptures and Paul's writings and stuff like that. Yeah. And let's see. We've also been to Holland to see like the hiding place, Corey Ten Plumes. Oh my gosh. How was that? Cause I totally oh, it is so, so wonderful. Do you have to do a little research before you go? Cause their hours are limited and getting tickets is a little messy, but um, it's the, the Corey Ten Boom home is this in this picturesque little town and it's lovely. And you can also go over to Amsterdam and see the Anne Frank home again, need Amsterdam's a whole different kind of, tourist um thing that you probably just need not a family doesn't need a long time in amsterdam um itself because it's kind of las vegas ish but um but the cory ten boom home is just just the spirit is so strong there and um seeing what you've read about and everything it is just just wonderful oh that's cool i that's one of my very favorite books and I keep passing it to my kids. I'm like, you got to read this. And they are. And every one of them are like, oh, it's such a good book, mom. So for those who don't know, Corey Ten Boom wrote a book called The Hiding Place. And apparently both Stephanie and I totally recommend it. So it's one of those books that stays with you that, and I'm not a rereader of books, but I read that more than yeah. once. Yeah. Do you reread books? Not often. Um, just because there's so many, I'm always got a list of what I want to do next and most of my books are audiobooks yeah. just because I can keep doing dishes and working while I'm listening. Um, 
but Corey Tenboom is one of my absolute favorites. What an inspiration to, to be more grateful and to find um, gratitude and yeah, and, uh, amazing and ways to ways to help others. That makes it so that you can survive in your own situation. She's amazing. Really is really. She's amazing. So what are some other books that you would recommend? Now we're talking books because I'm curious, what are your other favorites? Like if you're like, Ooh, I love that one. Here's another favorite. That one's obviously um, one of my very favorites. Some other books that I have loved from my kid's childhood is I really love the secret garden. Um, And yeah, yeah, that's a a really sweet book too. I, um, little women is my all time favorite book of ever and then little men no nope. yeah and little men and plum uh, well, i don't know if they call it plumfield or joe's boys all of those three books are just beautiful family stories so love those what about little women why why is that your all-time favorite um just to see like the the mom kind of helps these girls young women little women become come from taking the struggles of everyday life, anger, frustration, you know, just, they call themselves, they read Pilgrim's Progress and they talk about how they're little pilgrims trying to progress into the women they want to become. And so they're giving up, um, they're giving up their own personal uh, idiosyncrasies or things that they feel like they call them little sins that are holding them back or whatever. And so it's just really sweet to see how they grow together and just the romance of everyday life. It's like, you know, some books are all about exciting European travels, but this is the romance and the beauty in everyday life. It happens in every home and this is a little poor family. And so you don't have to have grand things to have a beautiful life. Oh, I love that. That's a great description of that book. So, um, that I wanted to talk to you about. We were talking about this just before we started the call, which was um, parenting young adults is a totally different kind of parenting. And I just wanted to kind of pick your brain on what your thoughts are on that and how how do you do that? How do you navigate the parenting of young adults? Because I agree, it's completely different. Yeah, we have blundered through it and it's gone really, all the thing you should know is that all my kids are super duper great and I have a lot of respect for them. Um, it is exciting to see all the adventures that they're on. Um, it is, and each one of them are so different. So each, when they've, I, we kind of considered them adults when they've returned home from their missions. So they go on a mission, live, um, on their own for two years. And then when they return, I've kind of been like, okay, you're an absolute adult now. And so the first one, I think I really, really cut him like you're an adult you're free whatever and I think that worked I think looking back when the second one and the third one came out that I would have considered them an adult but given them more support um looking as for the next two that went out um it worked good when they came back they had lived in their missions in some really I don't know what the word is they had some really high expectations about how you use your time Um, and all those kind of things. And so when we were able to give them more support when they came home, they um, flourished a little bit better. They were more used to routines and schedules and stuff like that. She felt like you needed to like give them more, uh, more support. You mean like give them more help in identifying a routine and identifying what needs to be done in their lives like that? 
Yeah, exactly. So when the first one came home, basically I was like, okay, you're home. Here's your room. Here's your stuff. Like you're an adult. There's here's, what are you going to do? And I think that was good. Um, but I think but the things that we did better were to sit down when the next kids came home and said, okay, where do you want to go? How do you want to get there? And then had some accountability, like, okay, tell us how you did this week. What do you want to do this next week? How can we help? And that kind of stuff, because they have lived with a lot of other people. So coming home and becoming independent um, mm -hmm. added more challenges than, than it helped with. And so... I don't know. I don't know if any of that it makes, makes total sense. sense. Huh. Cause when you're, cause even when you, um, when you're on your mission, you're, you're by yourself in terms of away from your family, but you have a whole bunch of structure that's placed there structure and you got to come up with it yourself. That's a daunting task for anybody, for anybody. especially for a, a young, a young adult. I was just having a conversation with my 16 year old and she was saying that she wished I would give her a little bit more. Um, I would check in with her and, and require more of her. And I, we, the more we talked about it, the more I realized that she wanted me to be like more dictating everything she did. And so we had a great conversation about how I'm not going to do that because what is she going to do when she moves out of my home? And there isn't anybody there to tell her what to do every second. Right. She's like, Oh, I said, yeah. So I'm here. You're in my home. We're together and I'm supporting you, but I'm not going to do that for you. Cause I want you to be able to be capable of doing that for yourself when you get older. And so that was, I said, see how that is my way of, of being there for you is by allowing you to make some of these decisions. So it's tricky, right? It is tricky to, yeah, to do both of those two things. Um, and, and what a wise mom you are to say, hey, this is my gift to you. I know this, that my gift to you is that you do hard things while you're still here and you still have my support. It's not like you have to take on living your own life and being adult at the same time, you get to transition into that slowly. Well, she benefits from the fact that she's the fourth child. <laughs> so <laughs> you use, you use the word blunder and that's, that's me on my first few, right? Like, right. We just all learning as we go here, but I've done this a couple times now. So this is what I know now. And I'll do hopefully even better on number five. We right. Hope, right? <laughs> right. So what does the support look like now that they are actually adults they've been home for a little while off to college what do you what do you do now and we will just set aside the whole corona thing because they're all home under your roof right now but when they're not home how, what does that look like for you yeah it's been really interesting um each one again is very different and sometimes even the same I don't, I don't want to call them children but offspring the same young adults you could call them children yeah, let's be real yeah I think your oldest is almost like once he's 25. Okay. Then, but still, <laughs> yeah, but 25, I think we can call them children. Exactly. So they, even from day to day, they're different people. So kind of going by how much they're willing to let in, allowing them the opportunity to set the boundaries for the relationship. But if, uh, but they're most of the time, it's just a very like, how are you doing? What's going on? And then checking back. I have begun taking notes on our conversations. I don't know if that makes oh, sense, but clever. we ha have phone conversations and I write down, okay, so you're going on a date with this one and this happened with that one. And this teacher did this that you liked and that teacher did this that you didn't like. And so then when we follow up with the next conversation, like, well, how'd that turn out? And, um, which seems silly, but when you have some, I get their stories. You're so <laughs> smart. No, you're so smart. Stephanie, this is, I need to do this. You're a genius. 
genius. That has been, um, that has been really helpful because I can never remember their names. Like you dated right, who? Right, the friends' and, names are right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so that has been helpful. And because um, it is super hard. It was different when they're in your home and you see the other kids. So you attach a face to the name. They're in your home. They're part of your everyday life too. But when it's abstract and they're, you know, across the country, it's just names of people. So you're so smart to take notes. I think I'm totally starting to do that. That's genius. It has been, it has been helpful. I have enjoyed that. And um, another thing we do is that we try, because there's three of them, we just take the other two that are home and we just about midterm each semester, we go out and rent a little place in town and then just have dinner together. And anytime they have free, we're free. So if they have some time, then we'll try and plan some fun activity to do for whomever is available. And that has really, I think it is very hard for college kids who are not married they forget what family life is about and life becomes so much about them. Like what I need to do today. Um, and that is contrary to how our family life has been. Our, you know, we've raised um, that the family is the center of a home, not any one particular person is the center of a home. So when they go to college, I feel like they begin to be the center of the world. Like what I need is so important. And so the family contact midterm, then they typically come home at the end of the semester. And it isn't necessarily that they need me or they need our home. They need a family environment to remember Mm -hmm. what, how important it is to look outside yourself or whatever. I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. We've been trying to do the same thing. Um, like, once a quarter ends up being that we see them mid semester and then at Christmas and then mid semester and then in the summertime. And I also found, tell me if this is something you've experienced. It's been a lot easier, especially on my younger kids that are home to see the college kids more often. And they are not so needy of their attention because it hasn't been so long in between visits. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Like we can just pick up where we left off instead of we have all this it seems like when we go too long, there's all this extra anxiety and emotion that we've got to like really get all their attention from the college kids. And then my college kids are like, holy cow, everybody really needs my attention right now. This is freaking me out. And so if we can see them more often, that doesn't happen. Right. Have, have you experienced that? Yeah, it is really nice to keep that family togetherness. Like it doesn't feel like they're not part of the family. Like it feels like they're right. consistently apart. We have flown up some of our like the 17 year old, we have flown him up and then he'll go and stay with one brother and then he'll go and spend a couple of days with the other brother. And so he's lived kind of on campus with them, um, for a few days. Oh, I and love that. That has That's been cool. good for all of them to kind of get, he's not, he wasn't at the time at the first times that he went, he wasn't technically a college kid himself. And so kind of get the feeling of wanting to go to college and what it's like and, and then the other yeah. kids, the opportunity to look out for somebody because that's what life is about is serving others. So, yeah, I love that. That's so smart. I love that. Yeah. We went to visit, um, we went to visit our, both our kids, college kids go to the same college. So my middle daughter and I drove a car out to them and 
course, while we were there, they were so generous that they like cleared their schedules. They did, you know, they got all their homework done before we got there. We were just there for like a long weekend. And, um, and so we just kind of played with them the whole time or hung out their apartments, but they didn't have very much that they had to do. And so when we got home, my, my, my middle daughter thought that's what college like life was. She's like, I can't wait to go to college. And I'm like, okay, what you just experienced was not college. What you just experienced was hanging out with your fun young adult siblings. That's not the same thing. Yeah, that's pretty good. So yeah, I think maybe like the seeing it more really would be a wife for her in particular. <laughs> That's pretty funny. College life is the best. It is the best. All you do is sit around and hang out with your friends and go out to eat. Well, who doesn't want to do that? Right? <laughs> yeah. That's all it is. It's awesome. That's great. Yeah. I love it. So um, so I know that your second son, Scott, had cancer. And I'm curious on how you guys went through that whole because I know that he was a cancer amazing, but also how you did that with the philosophy that it is not the family altogether focused on one individual, because I would think that it would be difficult in that situation to not all about the one person who is really sick. Right. Yeah. That it, it really was an interesting situation. So Scott was about 16. He turned 16 in May, but he had been complaining about an ache in his elbow. Um, this elbow hurts. Um, and so, I, but he was still turning flips in the yard and like climbing trees and doing all the things that a kid loves. And that's always been my litmus test. Like if you don't sleep, then I know there's something's wrong, but if you're just going along as normal, then there's nothing wrong. So, um, we just kind of went along as normal but like, Hey, keep me updated. So every few days he'd be fine. And then every, he'd come like, mom, last night, my arm was really hurting. So we waited a few weeks and I was, and, you know, did things to kind of relieve the, relieve the ache, but not to worry. So then we went to his family doctor and the family doctor said, no, he's got tennis elbow, tendonitis, um, just ice and Advil for 30 days. And then we'll do an x-ray. And so I was just like, you know, I already did my 30 days. Like I waited a long time before I came to you. We need to do something. He's like, no, we'll x-ray it in 30 days. Come back and see me. So one of my friends, we were, we would go walking every evening. The, our family and her family would meet at the track and we'd put in some miles together. She said, look, I got this um, orthopedic that you should try and get in with them. And I called the orthopedist, got in the same day, which was super, we were super grateful. So we get down there and take an x-ray. And about that time, Brian's driving home from work. So he comes down, just pops in and sits with us. And so she comes back to give us the results. And this poor little physician's assistant comes in and has to explain to us that um, there's a shadow on your x-ray and it's probably cancer. Wow. And so we just all kind of looked at each other and I'm like, there's no way that's cancer. You know what I mean? He just got a tetanus shot in that exact spot. That's got to be what it is. And so you were totally like, there's no way. Yeah. Which is interesting because yeah. So, uh, which is interesting because the thought had come to my mind a few weeks previous to that, like just the stunning moment in the hallway where um, I can still picture it in my mind where I was like, he has cancer. And I was like, Oh, you're crazy. Don't, don't do that crazy mom stuff. You know, you just need to don't do that crazy mom stuff. But anyway, so this lady, this nurse practitioner and tells us that and she says, I'm scheduling a CT 
for you to know an MRI <laughs> for you tomorrow. And then it will be with contrast or whatever. So we, she arranges for that the next day and Scott has never sat still and he's about 16 and he's never sat still a moment in his life. So he has to practice that whole night. He's like, mom, I can't lay still for an MRI. So he sets a timer and he tries two or three times to lay perfectly still for 30 minutes and he achieves, (laughs) he achieves it. But anyway, that was one of the first eye-opening experiences because we left the doctor's office and we look like the same people that went in. We look like the same 16 year old boy And we look like the same mom and the same dad. We're wearing the same clothes, but we are changed from that moment. And we are not really, really ready to drive home and tell the other. Well, there's only three home at the time because I had one on a mission. So Scott plus three others at the house. And we weren't ready to go home and tell them yet. So we stopped by a restaurant, which happened to be Zaxby's to get chicken nuggets. And so it was the whole life-changing experience And Scott's mentioned this too, like you stop at a red light and you look at the car next to you and everybody's normal, but you're not normal. Like you're like, they think I'm normal, but really we have cancer. Like life isn't the same for us anymore. Yeah. So, and then you go into a restaurant and you order food as if you're the same person, but really. And so that gave us a whole nother insight. Like when you look at people, they look like people, they look normal. They look like and, and we have a tendency, yeah. but really there's a deep hurt or deep trouble in lots of lives. And we just have to assume like President Eyring has taught, we've seen um, Henry B. Eyring has a quote about that. If you, when you meet people, you can assume that they're having trouble in their lives and you'll be right 90% of the time. So we just need to treat yeah. everybody I remember that kind of that surreal feeling um, after my mom died because an unexpected death. And I was coming, um, I was on the airplane coming home from the funeral and it had been really an exhausting emotional experience. Right. And I'm, I'm just deep in grief and I look around and all of these people around me and they're just living their normal lives. And I feel like saying, Hey, this horrible thing happened. You don't even know. <laughs> and, um, and then it gave me the perspective that, I don't know because if I listened, I overheard a woman next to me was talking to somebody about how she had just had to put the, her father in hospice. And another woman was going to say goodbye to her grandfather who was just passed. Like we all carry burdens, but we do assume that that we don't like we look at each other. We don't, we don't see it necessarily. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. But sitting in Zaxby's totally changed. Yeah. That's yeah, our life changed at that moment. So we did the MRI with, uh, and the, oh, I felt so bad for the little lady who did the, like, she's just a radiologist. So most of the time she's doing normal everyday things. And I don't even know if that's a radiologist. It's probably a radio, a tech who does the scans or yeah. whatever, but she could see it. She knew, obviously they studied this in school. Um, that, but they can't say anything. No. So she can't, they're just the tech. Yes. So she can't say anything, but you can tell she walks in and she's like, here's your image of CDs. And she is broken. Like, I felt so bad for her. Like she had to go home to her family and here's this kid that looks completely normal, just loving life. And she knows that his life is, um, is, is very much on the line or whatever. So I felt really bad for her, but we got the results the next day. I'm trying to think if, if it was, it might've, it was that same day. It was a Wednesday night. 
So we got the results. The doctor went ahead or the physician's assistant went ahead and called us and said, look, this is cancer. It's probably osteosarcoma. It could be Ewing sarcoma, but those are the two things. And um, we're going to refer you to Emory because that's the hospital, very um, the closest good hospital, really superior hospital to us. And so I'll get that information to you and we'll do this and, you know, all those kind of things. And so Scott's like, well, it's Wednesday night and it's scouts and church and all that stuff. So let's go. Like he, he didn't, he didn't have time for any of this. So we just went down to church and, um, and he, you know, just did his normal thing with all his friends. I think it came up at one point. I, um, uh, yeah, I think it came up with one point. And so, um, he did tell somebody that he had cancer and that we would be, um, going to figure that out at that time. We didn't know what that meant. So the next day I called the physician's assistant back and was like, so I need a second opinion. Um, we can go to Emory, we can go anywhere. And I have, because we have flight benefits, we can go anywhere in the world. I need the very best hospitals that you can come up with. And so she made a list of two or three. And one of those was St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And so I had an overwhelming confirmation from the spirit at the time that that was, that was for sure where we needed to go. And which is really strange. It's a really strange place to be because I am, I wouldn't say anti-medicine, but I'm very cautious about, um, about medication and chemotherapies and all that kind of stuff. So the Lord was super generous with me to give me that confirmation because up until that point, I probably never would have consented to chemotherapy um, for my own life. But obviously, when you're dealing right, with your right. kids, that's another story. But um, I probably never would have considered that before that. So the Lord was super generous with that. So she got, she made the phone call or sent in the paperwork that was needed. And St. Jude called me within 30 minutes and was like, hey, we've accepted you. We'd like you to come. We'll fly you out or you can drive out and we'll pay your mileage. I was like, what, what, what? So I didn't understand, but basically they took care of everything. We did drive and um, we took our RV and parked close by and St. Jude took care of everything for us. We arrived at the gate and pulled into the hospital gate. And from there we were taken care of for the next close to a year um, for all the therapies and things that they're amazing. St. Jude's is amazing. Really, it really, really was. I think that was another interesting lesson in life is because, you know, when you live in Atlanta and you drive through traffic or whatever, like people are a lot, they appear to be pretty crazy. Like sometimes you get home and like, I don't want to leave again because it's just nuts out there. But the thing that I really learned during this time was how many super good people there are in the world, like who are donating, who are working, who are striving to save children's lives. Like it was amazing to see, to see that. And it just changed my perspective on humanity um, in such a good way. So they diagnosed Scott with metastatic osteosarcoma, which was a super unhappy diagnosis. Osteosarcoma has a survival rate of about 70%. Um, Metastatic osteosarcoma has a survival rate of about 30% for five years. Um, There's not much survivability after five years. So that was 
So does it just does it just come back or yeah. like you just can't get rid of it? It just yeah. Comes back. Typically, um, osteosarcoma, which is a bone cancer, so his humerus, his um, upper arm had somehow a little glitch happened there, and it started growing cancer, and so and it went into the muscle, and then they thought they saw spots in his lungs and a spot in his elbow. And so once it metastasizes, it goes to the lungs and starts to grow something like a bone in like little, I don't, little crystals like sand or bone-like material in the lungs. And so that's typically how children die. It's a pediatric cancer. And so that's typically how children die from that is because of the lungs. Uh, Wow. So we never really discussed those numbers with Scott his doctor told him that there was an interesting study, I think in Germany, that had a 50% survival, long-term survivability rate, which luckily enough for the 16-year-old, he didn't understand that long-term survivability is five years. And um, that, and so he was like, well, I got 50% chance of reaching adulthood. I'm good with that. Um, but over time, um, so they, that was a 10 months worth of chemo, an operation to remove the bone in his arm and replace that with a metal rod. They call that limb sparing surgery. Um, and St. Jude did an amazing job. That's a whole nother story on its own. So he has a metal mm-hmm. rod in his upper arm instead yep. of bone or with the bone? So from his shoulder down to right above his elbow is all metal. And then his, that metal transitions into his very own bone at his elbow. And then the rest of him is his traditional self. That's amazing. I had no idea they could do that. That's incredible. It really is. They do all kinds of limb sparing surgery. It's more, most of these are done in the leg. Most osteosarcomas happen in the leg, but um, anyway, it is amazing. And he can use that arm today. We know, we anticipated that he would lose the arm. But then he got to keep his arm and it's worked so well. Like the expectations I gave him, like of how high you'll be able to lift it and what you'll be able to do with it. He has exceeded all of those expectations. So it has wow. been amazing. Yeah. So cancer, there are a thousand different lessons. Um, at this point, Scott is five years past treatment. He's almost five years past treatment. I think in April, he'll be five years past treatment. So, and they cannot find any cancer in Scott, not in his lungs or in his elbow or anywhere else. So, um, yeah, so that is miracle after miracle for him. Um, and we expect five years is a huge mark. So we expect that we shan't see any more of it, but, um, I think a few lessons that I learned from that one was actually right before we got diagnosed with cancer, my oldest son, Colin was, it was time for him to leave for a two year mission and he was going to Mexico. And so I was on the front porch, like on a Sunday, everybody's around the house and they're all, you know, just hanging out doing their normal thing. And I'm on the front porch, like just kind of having a discussion with the Lord, like, Hey, I'm really willing to give him to you. Like he's yours anyway. And I want him to serve a mission, but dang, I'm really going to miss this kid. And the spirit was just so clear to my heart. Like he's still here. He's in there on the sofa and you're out here on the porch 
missing him. Like go in there yeah. and be with him. And so the, the lesson that I learned was don't miss them till they're gone. And so that was we managed to get him off on his mission and, you know, we missed him, but it wasn't nearly as bad as I anticipated. And then this cancer thing came up and the same message came ringing back to my ears. Like, don't miss him till they're gone. You can't afford to take one day that you have left with him. Cause we didn't know how many days we had left. Don't spend one day worrying about what it's going to be like when he's gone. Use every day you have to enjoy it because Satan will, steal your todays by making you worry about your tomorrows. And so, oh, so true. What a powerful lesson, Stephanie. Oh my gosh. The Lord, That's amazing. The Lord has been very, very generous. That was, that was a life changing, a life changing moment. Um, yeah, there were some, just the perspective that you needed because otherwise you could easily have just spent all the time with Scott in grief too of missing him right instead of yeah yeah wow which was really a beautiful thing like the lord set that tone before we ever scott already had cancer but we didn't know it so we set that tone and helped us understand before that ever happened which made it so that every day that scott was in the hospital we tried to do something fun and there is a blog called mortal showers bring eternal flowers um dot com which um brianna his twin sister kept a blog of all that went on. And so it was just little interesting things. Like one night we set up candles and out on this, they have this huge veranda porch. So we went out and set up candles and marshmallows on little skewers. And we roasted marshmallows outside the hospital because he had to be in the hospital. So he would come out of the hospital and could go outside. So we'd roast marshmallows and um, you know, just do anything we could to make a memory every single day. Because, yeah, we thought that would be all that we would have were the memories. But so grateful that we got to keep him and the memories. So it was a really sweet, sweet moment. So, what a, I I really appreciate you sharing that because that's um, what an opportunity for all of us to have that perspective of making a sweet memory every day. We get so caught up in our routine that we don't, you know, and what if we don't have the tomorrow? Right. It really is. It is a life changing perspective. I can remember before we left, like, because we live on a farm, everybody has these muck boots or rubber boots. And when you have five kids and two adults, like somebody, there's always boots. Like you can't even get up the steps sometimes. Like if they leave their boots out. Right. There's boots everywhere. It's like somebody's going to get hurt in this situation. So I just felt like, can we just not stack the boots neatly on this boot rack? Like it's really not that hard to do. We can do that. So that was, that was, we call it BC before cancer. I was of the mind, like, can we just stack our boots up? So dude, we packed up and left. We just left. We didn't worry about anything at all. And um, so then we spent probably a month, a month and a half doing chemo. And we came back and drove in the middle of the night, which is a whole nother story I would love to tell you, but it would take your, too much of your time. But so we drive through the night, we make it to Georgia, we pull into our yard and it's like two in the morning or something. And I try to make it up the stairs to get into the house. 
and I step over all these muck boots. And I was so grateful for kids who leave their muck boots out. And how I realized that my perspective had been so confused that muck boots were so important to me to have them stacked up. But then when you drive back from the hospital and you have all your kids there, like you'd give anything to have muck boots strewn across your yard and porch. Yeah. That's, that's an amazing perspective. And I, I love your willingness to share that because maybe, maybe we don't have to go through all that you and your family went through and we can glean some of that for ourselves and change our own perspective and just enjoy the everyday moments right now as we go along. It really is. Um, I think that's one of the things I'm most grateful for is if we hadn't got to keep Scott, I would still be just as grateful as I am today because of the lessons that we learned. Life is, um, life looks completely different after you've been willing to accept death because every day is a gift and you don't look at it quite the same as you would have when you're expecting, you know, I've got a hundred more tomorrows where I have to go to work another hundred times and I have to make breakfast 200 more times. But when you think it might be your last breakfast together, um, it's a whole different, a whole different perspective. Yeah. And really you even say like the last breakfast together and suddenly what you're eating doesn't matter so much as much as that you get to sit around with one another and visit while you eat it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Cause sometimes we think like, okay, last supper, you want to make sure you eat the very best thing. But when you think of it in real, in just realistic terms, if it is your very last, like who cares what you're eating? Just being together as the, is the great treat. Absolutely. Absolutely. That it really didn't. So how is that? Like, how has that been? Then now you've got with coronavirus and everybody's home and are you just soaking it up ever more so then? Yeah, this really, really is a super sweet time for us um, to have everybody home and they're still doing some schoolwork online and, um, but the opportunity to do, to be together, because this is sort of like a last again, like because of their ages yeah. and the times of life, like when like one will be leaving on a mission and all those kind of things, it is a last again, like it'll be the, but it's beautiful um, we, to have them all joking and laughing and just enjoying one another and telling stories. Like it's sometimes so surreal to just believe that you made it, like you made it through I don't know how many years of diapers, like from one to the last, like <laughs> an unbelievable, so many yeah, years of diapers and so everything many. else, which seemed sort of challenging at the time. But then to see like what actually comes of it, like after you put your heart into being a mother and there are years when you feel like, Hey, I did nothing but um, make dinner and clean up dinner. And there's nothing to show for that. Like, there's not, right. there's no award on the wall. There's no diploma. No. There's no nothing. And dinner's relentless because tomorrow you're going to make it and clean it up. Again. Do it all over again. Right. Exactly. So, but then 20 something years down the, 25 years down the road and you look back and you're like, Hey, these are five people that I really like. 
Yeah. And they're kind of... That you just love to spend time with. Yeah. Yeah. That is a yeah. really, then, you know, th- that's when you go, it really was worth it. It really was For worth sure. all the sacrifice and the, and the hard work. It's like a hundred times paid back. Like what feels like it will never be your turn. It really is worth it. Which is something that I, I hope <laughs> that young moms and moms of little kids can hear that. You know, like, cause it actually goes by so fast. I know it's probably been, I mean, we visited you, but in terms of being neighbors, like we used to, it's been like, what, 17 Mm -hmm. years or some ridiculous amount of time. And yet, um, and I remember those times being just busy with little people Mm -hmm. and, and yet how fast it's gone. Like, I feel like I just saw you the other day and it's been years and that's how fast it goes with our kids. Like one minute, all you're doing is dinner and dishes. And the next minute you're saying goodbye to them when they go off to college or onto a mission or get married and start their own lives. And it's that precious time in between. Just got to soak it all up. Mm -hmm. It really is. It really is. And not to say that once they go off to college, you don't have precious time because that's not the case. It's just different time. It's every bit as precious. It's just not right in front of you all the time. Like it used to be. Right. It is a very different time of life. It is for sure. Wow. So many wonderful, wonderful thoughts and things, Stephanie. I just cannot thank you enough for sharing your story and your wisdom. And I wish that we just could spend another hour talking. Um, I'm sure that there's many more things that I could definitely learn from you. Um, Do you have one piece of encouragement that you might give to a mom who has a very sick child? Yeah, uh, that has been a that has been on my mind um, a lot over the years because because we kept our child. Um, yeah, and it's been a little bit challenging to to understand why all of our friends didn't get to keep their children. Um, because at the hospital, you make friends with a lot of people who have the same sickness. Um, One thing that I learned for absolute, for sure, is that the Lord never cheats us. And that, well, that's a powerful lesson. Yeah. That no matter how hard it is at the time, he goes with us. He'll transverse that road with us. He doesn't expect us to walk our children into chemotherapy or to hold the throw up bucket by ourselves or to sit in the, in surgery by themselves or to wait in the waiting room by ourselves. He's there and he walks with us every step of that road. And if we keep our children in this life, he's there. And if we lose our children in this life, he's still there and he knows our pain and he provides joy along the way. I know we can trust the Lord in all things. Nobody can break the bonds of our relationships, of our covenants. The only person who can break those bonds is us. The Lord will never leave us. It's our side of the line that has to be held to. And I testify that 
the Savior Jesus Christ really did live. And because he lives now, we can too, and our children will too. He's promised us that we will live again. And that's more promise than I can yet grip and understand in my mind at this time. Um, there is no, there is nothing that the Lord, that the world can take from us that the Lord can't give us back. And I leave with you my love for the Savior and my gratitude for, for parents who give their all to help great children come into the world for my own parents, for parents of friends, for all the moms that I learned a little something from so that I could try and be a little bit better as a parent. And um, thanks, Carol, for your example and for doing a podcast that helps moms all over to see a little bit further than the hard things that you do every day and to know that it really will be worth it in the end. Oh, thanks, Stephanie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing just even this brief glimpse of your story and your powerful faith and testimony. Thank yeah, you so much. It was much. great talking to you. Was I right or was I right? Wasn't that a wonderful conversation that I had with Stephanie? I hope that you gained as much as I did from her perspective and her wisdom and what strong faith and testimony she shared with us. It's such a gift and a great way to start the day. I hope that you have an amazing day and make it an epic one. Tune in next week when I visit with Hillary Shepard. She's the mother of two young boys and she's full of energy. You won't want to miss it. <laughs>